0: we're ready to go guys thank you for waiting sorry we're late we had some stuff to talk about before we came live and I'm not gonna lie I literally got out of the shower like 10 minutes ago
1: (laughs) how (laughs) was your holiday
0: holiday was amazing so okay okay To preface this, James did a talk for British Airways, like, two years ago, obviously, or maybe it was pre-pandemic, like, years ago, and they said to him, we'll give you your standard fee for a talk, or, and I think this was more economic for them, "Um, we'll give you two first-class tickets anywhere in the world you want to go, apart from, like... Uh, the Australia's and the Asia's, obviously, because then I suppose that's where they really make their money, because people are like who can even remotely afford it, like fuck, twenty four hours in economy. So they were like, anywhere in the world apart from that far will do. And James like, okay, and we never, we never called it in, and um, and because to James that was worth probably triple what the fee would have been, because I mean, I mean, who has the money to go first class? I have no idea. Like,
1: I didn't mean, like. So what would that be to America?
0: I reckon two first class tickets, bare, bare minimum, 15 grand, potentially up to 20, I reckon. Wow. And By the way, and while it is great that you can lie down, absolutely not worth it. Just so we're clear.
1: Like- I th- the other thing is, I didn't think I could enjoy it if I'd paid for it. Like, I think the position you were in, perfect, right? Because you're like, this is amazing. It's kind of like once in a lifetime experience. And I can enjoy it because I'm not thinking, oh my God, every 30 minutes in here is like, I know so much money And also because the hotel we went to
0: was also expensive and it's peak season, it's the Easter holiday. So the fact that we were like, well, we're not paying for the flights yeah. made it like kind of except kind of bearable. Because I hate spending money. Anyways, in case people couldn't tell, every time I have any kind of big expense, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I hate it. I'm a saver, not a spender. Anyway, so so that saved us. Like that. Because the travel trip on the way out and the travel trip on the way back was fucking horrific. So we have to go to the Keys, which are these like islands off the coast of Florida, um, which I have like a long standing history and love affair with. And I absolutely love them and really wanted to take Bodie and really wanted to take James. So the flight out, BA, our flight was delayed four hours, which meant that we missed our connecting flight from Miami to Key West which meant that we then, once we got in at like 10 o'clock at night, we then had to hire a car, which was like hundreds and hundreds of dollars to drive us four hours from Miami all the way to the end of the Keys, which is Sunset Key, which is where we went. So that took four hours. We got in at like one o'clock in the morning. We were fucking shattered when i say we were delayed we weren't delayed in the airport we were delayed on the runway for four hours like the plane didn't go and then they had to change over the staff because the staff had crossed the overtime like limit and it was just an absolute shit show anyway same thing happened on the way back That they've got we've got the red arrows they've got like the blue angels in america and they were doing this like display show on the the whole day that we were flying so obviously all the airspace was shut down I was like did you guys not fucking see this coming so all the flights were delayed they were like buying people off the flights it was mad anyway so all the flights were delayed finally got in then our BA flight was delayed another four hours it's like one o'clock in the morning and everyone's sitting at the gate on the floor like it's, children are screaming in absolute hell it was a fuck of a travel trip but thank god that we had those tickets because it meant when we got on we could just like (sighs) pass out and also it was totally worth it it was like the best it was everything I wanted a family holiday to be and more and I just loved it um
1: it looks amazing it was lush Emma how was level up a success right here it was really good but actually before we talk about that I find it quite fascinating I don't know if they did this but you know when you said like buying people off the flights like you hear of people like standing at the front and being like Will anyone leave the flight for 500 pounds
0: they did yeah and then they go up
1: and what and so at some point did someone just say yeah do you know what
0: yes yeah, so there was a woman from uh from newark um she was amazing actually i ended up talking to her for like an hour she was great and she basically said um they started at 500 they went up to 3500 she was like in obviously like a into i don't know what you'd call it but we would call it what um domestic domestic flight So it's because she was going from Miami to New York or Key West to New York. And she basically ended up, I think she spent 500 on the flight. She got 3,500 in American airline vouchers out of them. And she flies to Miami like once or twice a year. So she was like, that's all my flights paid for for the next, I don't know, like two years. That's great. (laughs) She was amazing as well. She was like, just honestly, she was one of the best
1: women ever. But talk to me about Level Up. Yeah, it was really good. It was so nice to have. You know, like a room full of really engaged people who all want to better themselves. And like the vibe there is totally everyone wants the best for everybody else and nobody's better than anybody else. But also, they're not, yeah, it's just, yeah. they're not like
0: other fitness events is what you're saying without saying
1: it (laughs) I guess but also like even the speakers it's like no one's like oh sorry I'm a speaker don't speak to me it's like it shouldn't be
0: like that by the way just because you like I don't know have a following or a qualification does not make you better than half the people in that room have followings and qualifications like you're not better than anyone and also like it should be like that it is a saturated space. So, you know, it's funny. Somebody messaged me on Instagram after I said that once, and they were like, the fitness industry isn't saturated. And I was like, come into my goldfish bowl and tell me that again. It is a saturated space, but most people are there for the, all the right reasons. And maybe there's a bit of a new generation thing of like, this is how I can get followers. I'm watching the Kardashians start to creep into this area. And I'm like, no, guys, stay back. But <clears throat> I have to say, like, our generation in particular, in particular, especially the people who are still doing it now, you know, 10, 15 years later, they're for the right reasons and deserve respect as well to hang on for that long because it is hard. Um, yeah, it should be like that. And I'm I'm not surprised, Emma, that that's the
1: vibe that you've you've curated. Yeah, it was really, really good. And the speakers were so interesting. So one of them spoke about my favorite topic, which is menopause. of No, the benefit of exercise for health. Oh, so, of course. Yeah, a lot of stuff that I know, but was just presented in an incredible way and then we had Ed uh, come and talk about pain which again was amazing and like what pain really is and how to deal with long-term pain and injuries and how to think about those things it was yeah it was like phenomenal um, information wise so that was really. uh,
0: I think that's a big gaping hole in our industry is um, chronic pain management Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say that because obviously I know Paul McGee, and this is like what he he treats it and does for him. And the amount of lives that he's changed just by treating it and prescribing the client appropriate kind of movement dose, and that could be a, a myriad of things from yoga to weightlifting to Ironman. I mean, whatever it is. And obviously in terms of like the programming is different for the client and where they are and what exactly their chronic pain is. We know it's different for so many people and actually undiagnosable for so many people in terms of the source. Um, But it's fucking life-changing, like life-changing. And it does so much good that I half wonder why there isn't more in our
1: industry targeted to that community. Well, yeah, what was it? We didn't really plan this, but... Ed spoke about pain, and then Amelia did one on like pain and chronic pain and how it can impact body image. Yeah, because a lot of the time, our go-to response to "I've got body image problems" in the fitness industry is focus on the amazing things your body can do and not just how it looks. Yeah. Now, if you've got like chronic pain or fibromyalgia, or you're recovering from cancer, or like you're in, or you've got back pain, you know, whatever you're annoyed at what your body can't do, that can obviously exacerbate body image issues. For various reasons, but also it kind of like you can't just respond in the way of yeah, but focus on what your body can do. And you're like, oh great, it's like less than what it could do yesterday. Yeah, like, it's not particularly helpful. So that was really interesting as well. And Ed gave this really good analogy about pain and the way that, like, like a good example of this is like I had like phantom back pain after surgery. So like, there was no real reason that I should be in pain, but I was still in pain doing certain movements. Yeah, and he. And that's basically because you have these neuro tags of like, I move in a certain way, I expect pain and thus pain is there. Yeah. But the analogy he gave is like, he had like Adele up on the screen and we were like, why has he got this? And he was like, you know, break up with a partner yes. and you're fully over them, but then you'll listen to a certain song. Cry, yeah. And you're like... You, you feel a bit heartbroken, right? And it's because of the trigger of that like neuro tag to that song and that person. And when you're like, do you want to still be with that person? You're like, God, no, like I <laughs> haven't thought about them in years, but now just that memory creates like a form of pain. Right. And it's quite similar when you maybe have had an injury or back pain or like certain movements have caused you pain previously. And I think this was like a big clicking point for me. We've spoken about this before, but the, there's quite a lot of research around like fake um operations and how they can help right so you go and get a fake knee operation and because of the placebo effect it actually helps right all they do is make the cuts on your knees they don't actually do do the crux of the the operation and yet the the outcome is really positive for those people and he was talking about this example of people who were getting achilles tendon um scraping so like that has been shown to work but like one one leg got the scraping and the other leg didn't and actually the outcomes were very similar. And I think probably part of it is that like expectation of pain. And if you're like, well, I'm expecting it to be better because I've had surgery, that's really helpful as well. And it kind of links together the placebo effect with how that might actually be working. But yeah, that was so fascinating.
0: That is fascinating. I didn't know that they did that. I actually didn't know, first of all, two two comments on that whole thing. (laughs) One, scraping. Two, I didn't know how, like, not legal, I suppose, is the wrong word. Well, I guess legal, um, whatever the medical term for legal is, um, it was to put somebody under, especially a general, if it was, like, a phantom op. But then I suppose, actually, when you think about it, you know, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, they're doctors too. So if they prescribe a certain thing and
1: they... they uh, have so you can't... Op. They will have signed up or agreed to a study. Where but they and then, would then that would have... The operation. Fine. So then, I was
0: going to say, I didn't know that that was something that was done as like not the norm, obviously, but you know,
1: outside of scientific study. Yeah. So that, that's really interesting. You it know, that- outside of a study, but also, it would probably work even better if you could, because those people will know in their head, well, I may or may not have actually got the surgery. Yeah. So the won't be as strong as if you actually went into surgery. They were like, yeah, yeah, we did it all. And then you fully believed that they definitely did.
0: It's interesting as well uh, what kind of headspace you'd have to be in to agree to have an experimental surgery
1: because you were really at that point. Um well, sometimes the waiting list is a lot shorter. Right. So my friend had this with um tonsillitis surgery or like getting your tonsils out. Yeah. I don't know how they were going to fake that but anyway I think or that she was in a group of people it's like, like dude you can see them I, <laughs> I think it was maybe half of them were getting one treatment and half of them another but it was way quicker to be in that study than it was to wait on the NHS list to actually get your tonsils out so I guess maybe sometimes that's why people are like yeah fuck it I'll do it yeah fuck it hopefully fingers crossed like oh damn it they're still
0: there oh <laughs> <laughs> please keep our effect gone um <laughs> you know what that reminded me of when you were talking about that Adele and that trigger is what I was saying um to Sarah Lynn the other day it was so interesting and the weird timing of it like absolutely mental that I was listening to that uh, like in the same 24-hour period as Sarah Lynn wrote that post and I found this really really interesting so he was called Dr Militic. I can't remember his first name and he's a trauma specialist and he served he's like he's like a war vet he's a highly qualified professional and and doctor in his field um and he's a specialist he specializes in trauma specializes in trauma therapy and this is so interesting i didn't know this there's so much you don't know and then you you literally this is like a two-hour podcast that i just listened to and i was like completely obsessed with it um so he was saying that that the trauma so there's 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 the conscious mind and the unconscious mind and the conscious and the unconscious mind um kind of um Go through millions of thoughts at any one time, and then the conscious mind obviously curates those thoughts down to like at best four at the same time simultaneously. And then it's because of bias. Usually, you your brain will further filter that into like two or three if you're lucky. <laughs> um, and he was saying that when in and I was talking about the word triggered, which I find really interesting because so many people now say that things make them feel triggered, um, and in in this world the word triggered um, very specifically means that you have a PTSD episode. So you have a mental health episode. And what that is, it's a flooding of all of those unconscious thoughts flooding into the conscious mind. Um, obviously, because you've had more often than not a near death experience, but we all know that there's other things that can happen that can lead to PTSD. Um, but he was saying more often than not a near death experience and you're, you're, You're put in a kind of in a cognitive situation where your brain cannot. it it cannot process what's happening it can't function especially in the aftermath and actually funnily enough he said especially when it's happened when you are a child and you're alone and there's nobody to explain anything to you or rationalize anything to you uh, immediately after the event itself but obviously again it can happen on a much bigger scale than that anyway so he said it's a flooding of your unconscious thoughts flooding into your conscious mind and he said that he terms it as a feeling of too muchness and it's too much and you you can't process it and some people have a PTSD episode. And he said, that's what the term kind of triggered when they diagnosed what led to it is is from. And the interviewer, who's a friend of mine, and this is how I ended up coming onto this, um, said to him, like, so why, why do so many people use the word triggered now? And obviously, we presume that not everybody's having these massive PTSD episodes. So What is that? mean what's your interpretation of that as professional and he said I think when people say triggered what they mean is they've seen or heard something and this is why the Adele thing made me think of this that's made them feel something and he said what's very interesting now is that especially on social media but the norm you know I, I suppose of our generation and below maybe not the older generations is to say like oh I feel triggered and they see it it's like a negative thing. That actually, it's a really positive thing. Feeling triggered means that something's made you feel something and be cognizant of your emotion and work through it. He was like, "That's that's that's a good thing. That's not a, that's not a bad thing at all." And um, and obviously, people are going to feel triggered all day, every day by various different things, um, and that's kind of part of the human condition, which is really interesting. Um, and I just thought it was really fascinating how kind of I don't know, I. I don't know, I guess how we have interpreted certain words and things to mean negative things when they're not necessarily negative at all. Anyway, I just wanted to talk about that because I found that really interesting too. Mm. We seem to be in quite a psychological headspace today.
1: I think um, like the way that most, I don't think the PTSD response, obviously that's totally different way beyond my scope, but the everyday way that people use triggered now, as in you see something and you have some kind of feeling, like usually a negative feeling, right? And you're like, I was triggered by that. Yeah, I always think like whenever that happens to me and like it happens to everybody right but I'm always like what is it in me that's why is that making me upset it's normally like a good sign of like hmm okay you're not okay with something around that like when people say oh the calories on menu make me triggered like I don't think that's a good reason to take calories off the menu I think that's a good reason to work on yourself so that realizing how much energy is in a food doesn't have such a big impact on you because the world is going to show you these things and actually what you want to be is more resilient to that and figure out like it's not it's a good sign of where you still need to do work and that's because everybody still needs to do work right I'm not saying like certain people need to do more work like we all need to do more work constantly and there will always be things that kind of highlight that to you and that's what I see being triggered as is like this is something I need to do more work on versus I should just like shy away from that or like they shouldn't have calories on menus because it makes me feel a certain way it's like uh-huh. I need to work to make sure that it doesn't make me feel that way
0: yeah oh yeah these are gonna be things you don't like all day every day I mean and, and you have to deal with it and there's also triggers for positive things or triggers again I say in like the looser sense but I do find it interesting that like, again you talk about the calories on menus if you know if you find yourself sitting there like huh this makes me feel that's not What triggered it is at all, and as Emma said, that's actually really a really nice flag and cue in your in your conscious mind that's like connected to your emotional wavelength. Like, huh, this makes me feel that. That's a really good thing, and I just I really like that spin. I'd never heard anybody a talk about it with such a qualified voice, but I'd never heard that take on it before. And and obviously from a trauma specialist who's seen people really, I mean, really at rock bottom in terms of their mental health, be like that's the antithesis of like a negative thing. That's where my clients want to get. They want to be aware that this thing has led them to feel that and to be able to consciously process it and come out the other side of it in a matter of seconds. That's not where they are. And I was just like, huh, that's interesting.
1: Anyway. I heard um, a trauma specialist talking about PTSD and he was saying that something that's not spoken about enough is PTSG, which is post-traumatic growth that's not the right acronym but anyway like his whole point was like yes some people have a negative outcome he was like it's actually more common to have a positive outcome and I think when you think about it you, you see that all the time right like some of the most positive people I know have had really shit things happen to them and that's why they're they're so positive now basically he's giving them a ton of perspective right like cancer survivors or people that have been through like open heart surgery like I'm thinking of a few specific people in my head but they have this almost like growth response from it. Now, that's not to say it was ever a good thing, but the response isn't always like um, a negative one. Uh,
0: Yeah, well, that's why therapy's there. The help is there to help. It's there, that's what it's meant to do. And I think sometimes when you say to someone like, maybe you should look at getting some help, it will help. People take offense to that. But like, I've been getting therapy on and off since I was in my early 20s. James has been getting it on and off since he was in his mid-teens. Like, it's not necessarily a negative thing to say to someone, it's like, this will help you. Like, I remember when my dad got me in therapy for the first time ever, and he was like, I cannot help you, you cannot help you. This is not what we do. This is not in our remit. Like, you need to hire a professional to help you. And that's not us, Chloe. And he was like, really adamant that I go. And it saved my life. It's really important if you're feeling, even if you feel like, you know, the, the feelings that you're feeling, you know, the triggers that you're feeling, are way maybe not ptsp episodes but are having way too much of an emotional impact on you which is lasting a long amount uh, a long
1: space of time yeah go speak to someone because like it really will help Mm -hmm. and even if you just see it as a positive like when i went to therapy i probably should have gone previously maybe wasn't like psychologically ready or maybe i still felt a lot of like stigma around that but i wasn't really in a bad place yeah. And actually, like, it will make you a better person in so many ways. And it's
0: really common in America, James and I went to this um, uh, couple's counsellor. When did we go? Like, just after we got married, just to, just to iron out some kinks post post matrimony, And um, he said... That all of his American clients go preemptively. Like they get into a relationship, they've been together a few months, they start talking about moving in together, bang, they go to therapy. They're like, right, okay, let's deal with this. Um, and he said the same just on a general, general basis. Like people will go to him earlier on to and the, but they're always Americans. So I was like, that's so oh,
1: classic. I think I guess it's more of like a, a thing over there. But one of the speakers we had was talking about my guest kind of like therapy or a support system for coaches and she was talking about like it was funny she's like how many clients do people have now that she's like 50 60 and I just ended up putting my head my hand down but it was like 90 and I was like I mean we could say like you know we've got 500 people in this group that all go through a lot oh yeah and her point was like I mean she used shoes as an analogy but she was like you're taking on Other stuff like now, try and walk around the room with like a bag full of shoes, like all your clients' shoes, because they've got stuff. And actually, you know, as coaches, we take on a lot of that stuff as well. And she was like, You need somewhere to offload that, not just for your own health, but to make you a better coach. Like, you can't take around everybody's stuff because you just get empathetic, empathetic burnout.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you do. You get my so, my best friend's a therapist I talk about all the time. She calls it compassion fatigue. And I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that
1: that, that okay. was what she said. Yeah.
0: We both experienced it massively when we were pregnant. We we're pregnant at the same time, which is so cute. I mean, you never could have predicted it. <laughs> but we were pregnant at the same time. We were both very indifferent always about having kids. Um, And so it was really nice being pregnant with her. And we both felt it in our third trimester. This is I kind of stepped away from the EC method and one-to-one. We both really felt it. You go through this weird shift in your third trimester and anyone that's been pregnant, I'm sure can relate. And you go through this nesting and you become a bit obsessed with the fact that you know, you're going to have a baby. And as you can imagine, it's life-changing. And it's really, really, really hard to do what she does for a living, which is far more important than what we do, Um, but also to do what we do for a living, especially when you have days, and Emma will relate to this, and all coaches can relate to this. I know we've got a fair few on the EC method. It's really interesting. There are some days in every coaching round where it seems like almost 50%, if not more, of clients have some kind of emotional a moment, whether it's like a, a really practical thing that happens to them, um, like, I don't know, they get diagnosed with something um, or they go through a miscarriage or their husband files for divorce. And these are all things that we've talked to clients through. And obviously we're not qualified to, but we're here, we're coaching. They want to talk about it. They want to unload and all these things happen. And it seems like there are days, sometimes weeks where this happens pretty much on a rolling basis. And you do feel it, it is exhausting. Um, And you do need to step back for a day. Like I'm sure people have noticed there are times that Emma and I just don't respond for a day. And it's because you need a minute to catch your breath and then come back into the conversation. And it's really important. And again, we talked about this before, how the first few years, and maybe Polly can fill in the blanks here because I don't know exactly the numbers, but the first few years that you are getting qualified and you are a qualified therapist, you have to go to therapy um because it's a lot it's a, it's a huge amount of emotional um stress to take
1: on mm-hmm. yeah and even as you're saying like sure therapy goes a lot deeper and rightly so it should and we very much know our boundaries but we've got 500 people on here if not more some rounds like that it, it there's different numbers right so obviously more people are going to go through everybody goes through something yeah so 500 people going through something
0: it's a
1: lot, so, yeah, it's a lot. um Okay, I'm just going to read some things from uh, Beth is just saying, the brain is so strong and powerful and complex. Yes. Kanchan, loving the psychological chat. Kerry, triggered is maybe being used in the same way that binge is used now. Like it's not the exact terminology, but close. Yeah, more like just slang, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Debbie, and a lot of times I'm triggered because someone's told me I should be triggered, a.k.a. TikTok influencers. (laughs) That's a good point um Beth just saying even the news about Becky yesterday made me value my current life yeah we purposely haven't we're not going to bring that up because we don't know how much obviously the group is one thing but the podcast anyone can listen to so don't think that we're ignoring it we just don't want to um overshare on something that isn't our news um but it is insanely sad uh, Kanchan's just saying, my friend the other day called me out re-inability to sit and rest as I told her I took on yet another hobby, learning French. Oh, that's cool. She said I was avoiding being alone with quiet in my head, which I do as it triggers a feeling of not being slash doing enough.
0: Yeah, Kanchan, we talked about this before and again with the ADHD, the binge eating, the triggered. Um, I've James did a, did a big article the other day on ADHD and it's obviously got huge... Um, feedback, which is really interesting, and he finds it. I mean, maybe we should get him on to talk about it because his opinions are very interesting on the matter. And I, I think, think probably quite similar, yeah. and I always I know they are. They definitely are have, knowing you both the way that I do. Um I was thinking about it, and the more I thought about it I was like, Emma, actually you don't. You're a workaholic. You're a high achiever. you're a driven individual. You don't have some of the other ramifications of attention deficit disorder or hyperactivity disorder there's there's obviously varying branches of it chan chan you do you tick every single box and i know we've talked about this before and you were like i think i might have it and we were kind of like yeah maybe you do but like eh, maybe you don't everyone's kind of self-diagnosing now Anyway, so I was like, obviously read this article from James and I know a lot about it, his, his experience with it, but I don't know a lot about it as a whole, like what the, what actually is the undeniable criteria. And I would say, Chan, you, you probably fit the bill, Um, which I know you already know because we've talked about this, but it was really interesting. It did, did make me think about everyone I know. And I'm like, I definitely don't have.
1: (laughs) I, I think the, what's interesting now, and probably because of social media and because if you're bored of something, you can literally flick. Like people's attention span on yeah. social media is like less than two seconds. If you don't, yeah, I mean, you know, like there's research on this. If you don't catch people within two seconds of the start of a reel, they're like, on. the next thing, right? So with people's attention span being that short, and we're training it in via the apps that we're using and social media and always being stimulated, I think everyone's like, if there was previously an ADHD scale, it's been shifted so far that if yeah. like ten years ago you probably, you know, like the average person I would, I imagine would be diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah. Now that's almost like the norm. So I don't know if we need to like reset the scale or, you know, stop playing so much on <laughs> apps and stuff. I think it should be, well, no, because nature
0: and nurture are two very different things. James was diagnosed with this when he was a small child and it's not going anywhere. I mean, he he had to come. I mean, just the general population. Yeah, the general, yeah. yeah. But I do find it like he he had to come off medication because he he failed a drug test um and he couldn't play a game so he had to come off ritalin and he's had to manage it in other ways whereas i think what you're saying now is absolutely true and fair to say but it's like (coughs) if we've trained people into this place we can probably train them out of this place Mm -hmm. therefore it does not make the idea i wouldn't say it should count as a diagnosis because diagnoses more often than not qualify medication and I don't think that that's, that's going to work. You know, we talk about like quick fixes with like obesity and things like that. It's basically like that for mental health. The last thing we want to do is start fucking prescribing more medication. No, no
1: I mean, we should move the diagnosis. <laughs> oh, okay. And yeah. People are then like, now I've got this Even
0: oh, I what you said. medication. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that.
1: Yeah. And and I mean, people who actually have ADHD, their brains do work slightly differently. Oh Yeah that's a very yeah it needs to be considered anyway she says I take this as a positive trigger because for the past two days I've actually parked some housework and napped so my performance goal for this year is to allow myself to be quiet still and rest yeah I mean something I massively resonate with I don't massively, yeah no, I have ever had two days to rest. <laughs> rest looks different for everybody though right and I think that's one thing I've struggled with is people like you should go and sit in a spa all day and I'm like that's not restful to me it's just boring like whereas I don't know going on an adventure somewhere that isn't work related and turning my phone off like that might excite me but like (laughs) what what normal people see as rest uh, like is not for me
0: well that's true I mean you talk about introverts and extroverts extroverts recharge around other people again my friend Miriam like the pole opposite of me has to be near people all the time she hates it she's not comfortable on her own I am hard-pressed to, to say hello to people I know at the airport which happened twice I'm like pfft. so like honestly everyone's different you're completely right I find this bar stressful ironically
1: yeah I don't like it anyway um Polly's here which is great we have an expert therapy isn't just about the difficult stuff sometimes it's to build on the skills that you have and to help you flourish yeah and so it should be right like it's kind of like nutrition right you get through like the difficult stuff and then it's like okay cool now you can like flourish right and thrive and it's you build on what you already know but it's certainly not like oh yeah wait until you get to a really tough place you wouldn't be like wait until you're obese and then start dieting you'd be like
0: that's what i did i went from having like generalized anxiety disorder into full scale meltdown panic attacks for fucking ages before i finally went and dealt with it and you know what all that meant is that the work that i had to do my end was impossibly hard i mean obviously not because i got there in the end but it took years and it would have taken a lot a lot shorter if i'd have actually got off my ass and gone earlier but i just kept thinking i can handle it i can handle it i can everyone has things like, i can have you fucking can't handle it when you are when it's really messing with your your health like your actual physical health and your day-to-day life like that's that's proof that you're not handling it so anyone out there who's like oh yeah no i can handle
1: it no you you can't <laughs> go speak to someone that's- But also like prevention is better than a cure. Like if if you think it's negatively impacting your life, like go and see someone if you have the access to do that. Okay, Beth, with regards to things being triggered, is it because using social media, we have created an environment where we only see one view or perspective and we lost the ability to see and acknowledge that there are different views and perspectives out there? Yeah, or we feel the need to say, I don't agree with that.
0: And that's not, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, yeah, I mean, first of all, in 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 a in a macro and a micro sense, the the kind of red tape that we've drawn around various conversations now is awful because it means that certain things that need to be said and 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 boundaries that need to be drawn, perimeters that need to be lived within, are not being talked about. And so what's happening is you've got this like overspill of issues and opinions and a complete lack of ability to deal with it because a lot of people. Are scared to talk about things that need to be talked about and that actually we need to we need to set some parameters around, like I just said. I also think there seems to be this thing of like self-indulgence in a way, of like and these of of basically being like, Well, I feel that just made me feel like that. And it's more important that I feel like that than what you said. And then all of a sudden we get into very, very tricky territory of whose argument is best when actually there doesn't need to be an argument at all we can all feel a certain way about a myriad of things and get on with our lives but instead now we're all just indulging this massive eruption of of debate that we don't really need to be debating I mean and a lot of the time you know don't forget social media and the press they love They love taking these like silly little stories and making them this like big national issue, but nobody fucking cares about it. Like I recently saw a debate on TV and read a headline in a newspaper about whether insects deserve like animal rights and and whether animals deserve more pushing into human rights. It's like your average person doesn't give a fuck about this. And now there's this huge debate. There's four people on TV screaming at each other. There's 20 million TikTokers showing videos of, I don't know, people eating spiders on I'm a celebrity. And so, and all of a sudden they make this non-issue about insects, this like massive, like humanitarian debate that it's not. And I think people need to get a bit
1: wise to that and be like, yeah, okay. Like- do you know why they're normally doing that? And I know that I sound like a, consir- a conspiracy theorist saying this, but normally because there's something actually big going on that they don't the want to put the news. Like, yeah. right? it's like, oh, there actually might be an economic crisis or something. And they're like, <laughs> shock. <laughs> hey what? let's just talk about this to, like, distract people from the actual important news. Do you know what really scares me? The Handmaid's Tale. Anyone who's
0: read the book or watched the show There's something about the way that it's written and how slowly, slowly creepy monkey it it happens that makes it quite scarily realistic. And obviously when you step back and you look at it, you're like, this this would never happen.
1: Give me an overview of what (sighs)
0: happens. Basically, okay, so I've only read the first one, so I don't actually know the reason why this happens. But basically there's some kind of big radiation issue that that happens in, in the United States. And what happens is is that um, female fertility gets um, more and more uh, impacted. And so having not only carrying your child full term, but then actually having a healthy baby becomes very, very rare. And so this somehow kind of circumnavigates into religious territory, God, basically what humanity has done wrong that they shouldn't have fucking done. And they should have been, you know, God fearing peoples and all of a sudden everybody who's had who's had a healthy child becomes a handmaid um and every uh. yeah and and they basically have to they are the vessel for these married men to to procreate by and obviously what ends up happening it's a huge commentary on the oppression of women basically um and and there's so many different branches of the oppression of women within the story um anyway when you read, she says this line in it and it really hit me. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) She's like, it all happened so slowly. And she starts talking about the years building up to it happening and little things that started changing. And she was like, but that's what you do, you know, when you want to kill something. And she's talking about women's rights. She was like, you know, if you, you could lie in a tepid bath and if you only turned up the temperature ever so slightly over the period of a few hours, you know, you'd never know that you were nearing on death. And I was like,
1: oh, Oh, it's like people use that analogy all the time. Not exactly that. But like if you slowly increase the temperature of like frogs in a water or something, they, they don't realize what's happening and they just die.
0: Yeah. Like well, shellfish. Isn't
1: this
0: how
1: you like. Yeah. It's scary. But I think it's scary because I think that happens in so much of your life. Like not with our guys, because this is why I think journaling is so important. Because it catches you out on what you're doing And the behaviours that you're doing Otherwise you wake up five years down the line And you're like what the fuck have I been doing for the last five years This isn't the life that I wanted to live Whereas if you're journaling If you know what your values are And you're doing your best to live in line with them Like no one's perfect I don't always live in line with my values I don't always make choices in line with my values But at least I'm aware of it
0: And And if Emma's saying that guys I mean Emma's like who I look up to I'm like what would Emma do in this
1: situation (laughs) So there you go but I think like no, and nobody can. But you're so much further ahead than anybody if you're even thinking about it.
0: Oh yeah, like the, and some one of our girls is it Priya? It was Priya. Was saying that she obviously went to Colombia. Well, gel, uh, God, you know I'm spoiled. When I've just come back from Florida, I'm like I'm so delish. <laughs> went <laughs> to Colombia, um, and she was saying you know she ate what she wanted. She gained some weight. Did it whatever. Now she's back and did it. But she was mega active on the holidays. She tried not to really overindulge, you know, to the point where you hate yourself, which we encourage all of you to not do because it's not worth it. Like why? Um. And I was like, yeah, you know what? And I, I was feeling a bit guilty because I definitely overindulged on my holiday. And I was like, fuck that. I was in the gym four days out of seven. Anybody knows when you have a baby that's calling, you literally don't sit still. at had a really healthy breakfast every day. And I was like, you know what? I did enough. I didn't do the best I could have done, but I did enough. And it's okay. Like, I completely agree with that. You've got to get to a point where you're like, at least I'm ticking it over, you know, the road well, sale. The
1: point in these situations is like you both lived in line with your values, right? For that week, what was more important than being like, have I nailed my nutrition was I want to create amazing memories from this holiday, not actually, I'll not have this glass of wine because it will put me over my calories. Like, yeah, you might not have made fat loss progress that week, but that wasn't the most important thing that week. This week it might be or yeah. As, as a higher priority but I think it's knowing that and then that takes away like the the guilt that a lot of people feel around going over their calories or not sticking yeah. perfectly to the plan and then it's the guilt that makes you then continue to not priority. stick to that plan yeah. Right? and exactly that's the spiral you come home from holiday feeling guilty you either think I've ruined it all now there's no point or I'm going to massively over-restrict for the next week and I was thinking about this because um, I had something similar in a check-in and she's doing so incredibly well. And I thought, actually, one of the fundamental skills of successful fat loss is the ability to enjoy something and then stop when the enjoyment starts to reduce. Oh, yeah. But yeah. You know, I Like I had this chicken burger and then I had some chips, but then I stopped because like I'd had enough. Right. Which seems like such a simple thing. Like, yeah, OK, <laughs> B- big news, but actually if you can pinpoint like that would be one of my top three fundamental skills yeah successful long-term fat loss
0: yeah and this is and do you know what i said this to james on holiday almost every day i would order like whatever lunch i would order and to be honest lunch isn't really a thing for me on holiday i don't care i'm a breakfast dinner girl i don't care or if i train late then do like whatever but i'm a one meal morning to afternoon girl but anyway like james orders lunch every day and i had one day where i got so unbelievably drunk that i was like i can't skip lunch again. But the number one thing that I'm so still shocked and proud and impressed at is that I stop when I'm full, even if I've had fit. And now for two reasons, one, because I used to be very all or nothing. And that was not on the table. No pun intended. Two, because I'm a real people pleaser and I don't like it when waiters come up or whoever is taking away your food and they're like, oh, did you not enjoy it? First of all, stop doing that, please service people please stop doing that because it's really <laughs> tragic um for people like me who are like oh my god leave it, leave it leave it leave it it's awful um so the fact that for these two reasons i'm like i don't care i am full that is a huge win for me and every time a client says to me and i completely agree emma in fact, i would say it's the number one thing having been in the opposite space myself the number one thing clients say to me: I literally want to throw them a fucking party. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, it's what like you've done it, you've cracked it. And guys, keep that train going, keep that train rolling because you know if you you know it's it's I don't I actually don't think it's that easy to go back once you get to that point. I mean, I fa- I found it impossible. Um, and I think honestly, like it's just such proof
1: that you've you figured it out. It is a biggie. Okay. Um... I think we're basically up to date. I don't know what keeps pinging. Do we want to do a question now? Yeah. Fifty two minutes into the live. And I also
0: really like it that other people are commenting on what we're talking about, even if they're not asking a question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's been of value. I can't chance just saying the handmade the handmade tale book is or was actually banned in certain parts of America. I'm not surprised.
0: And I have been like thinking, because like, so I read the first one, I only finished it. I literally had like a handful of chapters left and I only finished it this holiday, obviously came home and now I watched the first episode of the series last night, cause now I'm obsessed and I've ordered the other books. Um, but I was reading it thinking there's no way in hell that there aren't certain areas of America who see this as a huge threat and are like, no um but that's really interesting and I bet I can I bet I could guess the states although I won't so I don't want to offend
1: yeah, anyone so could I but they're probably middle
0: yeah and even I was like self-conscious in Florida which is the bible belt even though Key West was like the second um biggest like party and like gay it's not the yeah. I don't know what it is like I don't know area um so I'm in a very liberal place Florida is still the Bible Belt and we're an expensive hotel and this is where people from the south go to holiday you know like Bali is for Australians or like Europe is for us and I was very aware that that was the book on the table and I was like this is interesting like I was hyper aware of
1: it Um, even when like when we were in Texas like Austin is the chillest place in Texas but like Texas is pretty backwards
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, these are like these big, although I think Florida is a swing state, but those big Republican, very religious states. uh, Yeah, yeah, I guess like both of us for different reasons. You're just very aware of it. You're very aware. This is what I always found really interesting, actually, about being gay, is that if I'm somewhere, like I say, like in Texas or wherever, like the deep South Louisiana, I would feel very aware that I, I don't know, I'm quite a liberal cosmopolitan city girl. And my again, Miriam, friend, best friend again, who does a lot of um, therapy for trans um, um patients, said, like, you don't understand, like, imagine thinking about your gender all day, every day. Like, how many times a day do you think? Like, I'm a woman, like maybe once or twice. Like, you don't generally think about it. Um, and she was like it just must be quite mentally crippling um, and all-consuming and I always thought that like imagine oh god it would just be you'd just be in so in your own head and so freaked out anyway
1: yeah I, I guess it's easier when you don't like it's not as obvious I mean for some people it is quite obvious that you're gay <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you can almost see it but you yeah it's not As Well, I don't know, for a lot of trans people, it's probably not obvious either. But I get what you mean, like, you'd have people who, yeah, yeah. I think, I might
0: be misspeaking, but I think it's, like, the biggest hate crime um, statistic now in the US is trans violence against trans.
1: Mad, like, I I thought I'd got stuck in some weird algorithm, but, like, I get sent, or, like, I always see, like, anti-trans videos. And I didn't know if, if it was something I'd once liked. Like, I think I freaking liked a Jordan Peterson video once. And I'm like, damn it. Like, I'm just like bombarded with like yeah. anti-trans stuff. It's kind of interesting to see what their arguments are, but it's really like scary as well.
0: Well, there's arguments. There's this really interesting thing. I don't know this firsthand. This is secondhand information from James and James doesn't get his information from the most reputable, reputable areas. So I kind of shut down when he talks about stuff like this sometimes but he there's something going on at the moment in America with like basically men who are basically sex offenders claiming to be trans going and it's like this is where we enter this is why it gets so tricky because this is a big watercolor problem now and it's very difficult to talk about it and say obviously that's unacceptable maybe we need to come up with a better solution here without stepping on trans rights it's very hard to do now I don't think I'm going to offend anyone. No one takes my opinions on these things that seriously and nor fucking should they. But it's very hard when you're a politician or a person in power to actually start talking about these big red hot button, this is going to offend some people, but you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. You've got to make the omelette. So what do we do here? Like you've got to have the conversation. It's really hard. We
1: <laughs> all need an omelette. So it's like first hearing that argument of like, yeah, but what if, trans people start going into female prisons and I just thought oh come on like what a fucking stretch but now I'm like oh actually
0: well this is a real issue like this isn't one of those like what if you know when it first started and everyone was like what if they and it's like oh come on guys and then all of a sudden it's like oh shit yes. and it's like, you know fucking sex offenders just make like life so hard about
1: everything <laughs> <laughs> So it's honestly so selfish you're
0: so selfish stop fucking around with everyone
1: else um okay yeah carrie's like oh god i think anywhere with the death penalty you've got to be quite careful this is true um uh okay right polly chloe read the next book the testaments before watching the series as it's a much as it's much better than the program
0: yeah, I've ordered it. It's coming. So far, I'm only on episode two and it's all with the Handmaid's Tale narrative. So, mm-hmm. but I will, I'll stop watching it and I'll, the book should arrive tomorrow.
1: Kanjansha said, I f- I forgot I was brown once and then entered Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It felt very, very bizarre from being stared at.
0: The first black person I ever saw in Cornwall. I've been going to Cornwall since I was but a baby. Like since I literally was in, in utero. The first Black person I ever saw in Cornwall was maybe when I was in my late 20s. And I was like, oh my God, finally, it's happening. Mad.
1: So funny. Right. Okay. We're up to date on the live. <laughs> yes, swimming
0: with French people. Like every summer, all you hear is French, 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 French. But no Black people. <laughs> no Black people go to Cornwall. They do now, motherfuckers. Okay. <laughs> Hey, both. I've been lifting now for donkey's years. I've been with the EC and Chloe for a couple of years. Sam's an ex one-to-one, guys. Um, I've been successfully at maintenance for nearly a year, and I'm happy with my body, aside from the odd day when I just want to be smaller, but I'm working on that unhealthy mindset. I've realized that with my big lifts like squats and bench, I've not progressed my weight in some months. Yeah, I know you've spoken about this before. Is it okay if I don't ever increase my weight? I'm happy with where they are. Three sets of 10 rats is still a struggle for me. If I have a day where it's a little easier, I'll hold a pause at the bottom. Yeah. Or slow down the tempo. Is there still a benefit in lifting the same weight forever? Okay, so... Right, I'm just, just making sure I've got the crux of this because sometimes I end up with questions on my own weird head and I'm just like, I don't think that's what they're saying. <laughs> um, okay, so yes, you will find... So Sam, for context here is trains like an athlete, looks like an athlete, probably one of the most kind of quote unquote in shape, like physique clients I've ever had. Um, And trains like it too, like the work is there. Um, I would also say genetics are there too, purely because (laughs) I've had in the matter of like months for somebody who's very adapted and has been training for a long time, in the matter of a a very short handful of months, seen significant muscle gain from her while staying fucking shredded which doesn't happen so she's got she has got everything working for her Sam knowing your physique the way that I do I'm not surprised that you have hit what we would call is is the ceiling which is very unproven but you kind of hit your maximal kind of load output ability um yes we can absolutely start to change your training in order to push past that but a, it's going to take time and patience, and b, I know that you don't want to gain any more size, so why would we bother doing that? Which means c, it's perfectly a normal and b acceptable that you are where you are and you don't change it. Emma, over to you.
1: I don't think I think because you know the context of this, I don't think I have much to add. I also think you probably like you probably will still increase if you keep pushing yourself. It will just be slow. And the I think the thing that people struggle to get their head around is like. I mean, slightly different for Chloe because she's just coming back into it. But like, cause I've been training consistently now for 10 years, bit of back surgery, whatever. But consistently for at least the last year, my weights don't change very much either. Like it, it's very unlikely that's happen unless I decided, right, I'm really going to push this. I'm really going to put a lot more time and effort into this. But the way, like the time commitment that I give to training and that I'm willing to give to training now, I don't expect my weights to go up a lot really Mm -hmm.
0: no yeah completely I had one session before holiday where I hit 60 kg for eight reps on a back squat and now I'm nearing on kind of the end game and I was like wow I'm so amazed that I've just done that given it's taken me fucking months to get back there but I know now that the next, get again. Yeah. yeah, and it's going to go way down, and that's that is what it is. You seen that video of that girl like lateral raising sixes,
1: and she's like ten years later stuck on my sixes. Feel like, ah! like I mean that's the prime exercise that we always hear as well. Yeah, everything's going well, but I'm still just doing six kilogram lateral. Raise. I'm like, so are we? Yeah. <laughs> so of exercises like you might now do twelve reps instead of ten reps with sixes, right? Yeah, but I wouldn't be like, even if I could lift significantly more. I wouldn't be like oh yeah I want to get up to like 20 kilogram lateral raises like it would just be shitty form.
0: 20 kilogram lateral raises please.
1: I know I don't actually even know he does that. And um,
0: James James, probably does. I went asking what your bicep called the other day and he said something ridiculous and I was like are you lying? He was like why would I lie? I was like fair. <laughs> okay go on.
1: Nothing on the live. Um, Lisa's just saying to Kanchan, this is what scares me about ever leaving London.
0: That's it. I am never leaving London again. Just so we're clear. James and I had this full argument. Like I said, I I I got really drunk in Florida with this this other random couple from Charlotte. And they, they, I was saying that, oh, I'm never, I'm never leaving London again. James said, no, we are going to move out of London. I'm like, no, we're not. No, we're absolutely not. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know I used to go along with it now we're here I'm like oops looks like we're saying
1: Claire Wynn is just saying not a question just a thank you for making me rethink just because I may not have achieved what I wanted this round sometimes you forget to appreciate the unseen benefits health better relationship with food I cannot emphasize that enough I was thinking about this so much yesterday especially the health outcomes like one of the studies that Richie broke down was it's quite a, a famous study that a lot of actually the anti-diet movement use quite often, but it shows that muscle mass has a far bigger impact on health than body fat. Yeah. right so You are going to improve your health significantly more by increasing muscle than you are losing fat. Now, the argument they often give is that then the amount of fat you have doesn't matter. It's like, no, it still matters. It's just that muscle matters more, right? would you And you see the lines, it's like the healthiest person is relatively lean and has a lot of muscle, the second healthiest has a higher body fat but a lot of muscle. And then it's like having um more mm, what, where would it be? Why have okay. I got stuck like with that? Then it's like uh just having high fat. But oh no, then it's like if you have if you're lean but if you don't have much muscle, you are less healthy than someone who is overweight but does have muscle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I feel like you can kind of see it.
1: You have, but they like to leave that part out. That like you would still be even healthier if you didn't carry excessive amounts of fat. And but like I think what the important part is is even if you lost no weight, but you just started resistance training, you have no idea the benefit that you're doing for your health. And like because you can't see it, I think it's like often underrated. Or like oh I I did this program, I got no results. It's like well did you start lifting weights? Yeah, I went to the gym all the time, but I didn't get any fat loss results. It's like you have done so much good for your health it's just you can't see it on a scale in a number
0: mm. this is it we have clients a lot saying like i really don't want to lift weights but i really enjoy my zumba my pilates my this my this and it's like look all activity is going to massively improve your health markers but again you know we're not just talking about physique here. it's not that emma and i want you all to look a certain way that's completely up to you guys how you want to look but it's like it's preferable that you lift weights your health and we would be bad coaches if we didn't push that as the predominant output re well yeah exercise um but obviously yeah we've got to find some kind of middle ground and compromise we don't want you guys hating it
1: yeah and all exercise is useful like another study he was showing was comparing um stents so these are like um mesh wires that go into your arteries to open up your arteries if they're full of plaque so the main cause of cardiovascular disease comparing getting a stent to exercising. And this was like low intensity cardio-based exercise. it was like on a seated bike, right? So uh, something that is appropriate for someone who's cardio rehab, the people who did the bike got a better outcome. So less cardiovascular events during the year afterwards, right? Works better than an actual stent. Like that's mad that we don't prescribe it more often. And I think there's this fear and I see it with coaches and like, I've had it myself. Is like, well, I don't want to make things worse. And usually that, like, you know, if you've had like, I don't know, someone who's had cancer or someone who's had a cardiovascular event, you normally think, well, let's not get them doing too much, or maybe they shouldn't do exercise because that's putting stress on the body, but actually it's the best thing that you can do. You just have to start where you are and slowly build it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've had this with a client too, that it's, I get nervous with high intensity stuff. That's where I'm like, hmm, let's taper it back. Keep the
1: cardio in, do low to moderate. Um,
0: But but this is what's
1: interesting as well. Like I get nervous as well, right? Because you're like right up at the top. Research doesn't support that. Actually, that shows that HIIT training is one of the best things you can do for any kind of, but like even cardiovascular outcomes in particular.
0: I know, but it really scares me. And I think part of the reason it scares me is because I know three men growing up in their 40s who are really healthy fit individuals who just because of you know things that happen i don't know what the terminology is because of sod's law had a heart attack in the middle of doing a high intensity output something and it's really scared me even though exactly as emma says the research shows the opposite um and obviously that was gonna happen
1: well this is what's really interesting right so I would I think it was about 50 years ago there was this big study it might have even been a little bit more than that but it wasn't that long ago there was this big study and it was linking cardiovascular outcomes or cardiovascular events to exercise right and as you've just stated these often happen while you're exercising because you're putting yourself yeah and so they thought exercise is causing these cardiovascular events (laughs) and in the short term you know it's not technically wrong like you're putting your body under that pressure would it have happened at some point yes but you've put your body under that pressure so it's happened during that time yeah yeah long term you're like no it's so preventative from this happening but you can see why there was so then people weren't sure whether you should be not exercising because it would increase cardiovascular events
0: no it's gonna it's going to happen anyway. It runs in my dad's side of the family. So obviously we're all like pretty hellbent on keeping cardiovascularly fit and healthy. So if it happens to, and I, you know, it might, if there's a cardiovascular event that happens on on in my family at any one time, it's not like we couldn't kind of predict it and know that it was coming, but you're doing yourself a lot better service keeping cardiovascularly fit and healthy than the alternative, which, you know, you think about my my granddad and great granddad's generation, you know, they, they died in their late 30s um so
1: yeah Angela's just saying um I was reading a paper recently that showed women lifting weights increases longevity you might not be worried about that now but at my age 60 I'm taking notice I want as many years as I can and this is the point yeah. not just as many years but quality years
0: quality yeah yeah like- we talk about this on in our, in our podcast episode we talk about this we talk about all course mortality um the undeniable factor of increased muscle mass in that. And we talk about um, quality, not just quantity. Somebody in our industry, and I've had this rant before, but it really annoyed me, took a Ricky Gervais skit from his last stand-up, which I'd seen, I'd gone and seen, and he just completely plagiarized it. Why? I don't know. Took it and did a whole thing of like, who cares? Like, you only get one life, life is for living. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, again, this is like massively cross purposes. Yes, you only get one life. So balance is key. But you're not just your longevity, which is what he was basically poo-pooing longevity, but your quality of life is greatly improved if you fucking take care of your um health and fitness and on a nutritional and also a cardiovascular and also a musculature level. Plus, you work in health and fitness. What are you doing? Um, but yeah,
1: it's it's really important. Also, I just think for that argument, I, I get it. Like you only get one life. Why wouldn't you want to feel your best? You know. I know it shows it so that you're like to me that screams uh, you only get one life so you shouldn't do restrictive dieting right which obviously yeah. if you're a coach saying you only get one life like do whatever you want yeah because you're dieting shit like yeah. our whole thing is like you live your best life while you also make changes so that you're feeling your best at the same time yeah and so uh-huh. look back be proud of what you did live a long healthy independent life that's like as disease-free as, as possible right and like as Chloe's saying sometimes you're at a higher risk of these things but you're doing the best you possibly can. Given the cards so, doubt.
0: down, yeah.
1: Or, or mean that like, you know, some people are at high risk of cancer and they might still get cancer, but they'll be in a way better position to deal with the treatments and to recover from it than someone who hasn't been exercising.
0: That's a perfect um, example. But yeah and it kind you know what it kind of worked as a Ricky Gervais skit even though he I don't know if anyone knows this has lost a shit ton of weight and massively takes care of himself now it kind of worked as a Ricky Gervais skit because he's a comedian. he's talking to the common man he's talking about you know common enemies and in, in all contexts it doesn't work when you when you're in health and fitness it's like what are you doing anyway
1: I found that really interesting um Debbie's just saying love you too explaining these studies to me thank you you're very welcome and Angela's saying yeah quality you need to be able to walk out of a chair and be independent I think that's one it, like it's the thing that scares me most is like loss of independence shocking for me but I just think as you age especially that that is so highly related to quality of life like do you want someone to have to do everything for you or do you want to be able to do things for yourself
0: I need to go back to therapy, I'm not going to lie, because since having Bodhi, the idea of just, like, the fact that we're all going to die, all of us, I can't. It's so weird, I don't know what's happened, but I go into this very weird
1: headspace, and it's, like, undiluted fear. And I just, like, it's really bad. I feel really weird today, just because of I mean, like, Becky in the group, but also... One of my friend's boyfriends who broke both of his arms. Like you know, and you just think, oh my god, life can change in like an instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really. It's very weird.
0: Yeah, and then I hit. Sometimes I hit. What's well, something My mum used to have this like massive depression around like mortality, and it was this big thing. And like if anyone she knew passed away, which obviously happens all the time as you get older, she would just go into this horrifically deep depression. And it was like this big thing we grew up with. Something's changed and shifted in the last few years. And I need to speak to her about it. I'm going to get her on my podcast to talk about it, actually. Where she is just like, I'm not scared of death anymore. And I'm like, what happened? Tell me. What is the secret? I do not have it. I do not have this knowledge. This idea of just like this absolute ending. Oh, my God. Like who? These people. I just, I need some help to get my head around this. I think most
1: people don't think about it very much.
0: Yes, I think that's the key, and I'm now thinking about it all the fucking time.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, babe, just don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. You're welcome.
0: That's what I say to James. I'm like, just relax. He's like, you can't tell I'm angry
1: about some So I'm like, oh, just relax. (laughs) Um, Okay, Kanchan. I'm sure this has been said slash asked before, but do we think people are scared to discuss health and longevity because being underweight or morbidly obese comes under that branch and they'd be classified as sizeist?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there's so much that people say to talk about. Emma and I like make a point on this podcast, and I, I make a point too. It's a safe space, right? Some of the stuff that we talk about here, I, we would not talk about in other places and other areas. <laughs> slightly worrying because it's a public podcast, but but it's safe and it actually goes to show that all of our clients emma talked about you know we've have we have anywhere from 4 to 800 clients on any one round are all capable mentally um kind of aware and intelligent enough to talk about these things that emma and i talk about and touch on and you know we just talked about race for example we talk about and it's fine to have these conversations, but I do completely agree with you, Kenny. In so many contexts, people are so scared to even speak. And especially like, you know, when, you know, you're like us, these like white women who work in health and fitness and a massive place of privilege. But I, I think everybody's downgrading everybody else's intelligence. Like when my parents started the book club and they became like two of the most powerful people in publishing overnight, even though <laughs> at the time they'd never written a book, they didn't work in publishing, they, had, they weren't literary agents. Because the channel constantly said to them, your audience are not intelligent enough to read. They don't read. They don't read. They don't read. And my parents pushed back for like well over a year. And they were like, they do read. Let us start the book club. Let us try it. And when they did it, it was a fucking smash hit. And I just think that was like something that I saw growing up and my parents always championed their viewers. And I think it's the same with you lot on the EC method is is our clients being like, they're not stupid. They can handle it. They can handle conversation. And I think the people who, who really have these big kind of meltdowns about these topics that we should all be able to talk about. Um... I think they're the unintelligent ones and it's like we need we do need to talk about it same with obesity Emma and I tread very carefully with it as we should how I just talked about you know where they it's like young privileged white guys working in
1: health and fitness but we need to talk about obesity it's part of our job so yeah I yeah I also think it's a respect thing like I would be livid if, if I turned around and someone was like oh yeah we didn't tell you that there were any negative consequences to being overweight or you know whatever the situation like maybe it's smoking we didn't tell you that because we thought it might upset you so I'd rather be like a bit upset for a period of time and the thing is and what we really want to get across is we're not ever blaming anyone like if you're overweight that's not necessarily your fault right there is and as Chloe kind of touched on there are so many reasons for that that and, and we know how much like your background your upbringing your genetics all of this plays into how much body fat you store so it's not your fault but it's your responsibility to change that if you choose to take that on right and I think this comes with like loads of stuff and I'm sure Polly will agree but like when you're an adult there will have been loads of things that have impacted the way that you are now that's not necessarily your fault and that's kind of what you go to therapy to unpick but it's your responsibility and to own that and then to change it if you want to change it like if you're not happy where you are that and you have the power in which to do that and I guess that's our message is really like empowering people to make those changes should they want to not this is your fault. You shouldn't be a certain way. It's like if you want to change, this is where you come, and we will help you change. Yeah, hear, hear. Okay, um, Kanchan. Well, my mom declared the other day that she's chucked away our childhood pictures because she had no attachment to anyone or anything anymore. Her brother and his second had his second stroke a few weeks ago, and obviously survived years of being hit by my dad. So now she's like, I'm not scared of anything and doesn't worry she attach herself to things or people.
0: Well, it's heavy. Wow. Look <laughs> there. Yeah. Em, um, I've
1: got to go. Okay. Um, right. not- well, that was a great live. We got through loads of questions. I um, <laughs> hope everyone has enjoyed this podcast. And we will be back on Friday.